Welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston. I'm the founder of Clyde and the director, and I love what I get to do working for this ministry. And one of my favorite things I get to do is interview people on this podcast every single week. And so if you are new to showing up here, I encourage you to know that you can subscribe to this podcast and you can also share it and send it along to someone that you think needs to hear it. So today I have a feeling you're going to want to send this along. This is going to be a part one and part two conversation that I have on 10 moves to walk toward wholeness. And I sit down with Breeze Potts, who is a mental health therapist, as well as Kristen Mattel, who's on staff at Collide. And we had a fantastic conversation and kind of nerded out on these moves that we can make to experience the wholeness that we desire in life. And I don't know about you, but I know that for myself, for my friends, for the people in my family, and for a lot of the women that we work with here at Collide, there's this great desire to see a lot of the broken spaces and places in our lives find healing. And so often we desire this, but we don't even know where to start. And so Kristen, Madeline, and Breeze Potts and I came up with these 10 moves. And in this podcast, we have this conversation. I hope that each one of these moves will give you some sense of maybe where you can take a next step to walk towards the healing that you desire in your life. So take a listen. So I love so much that I get to sit with you, Grace Potts and Kristen Madela, and talk about 10 moves to walk towards wholeness. And I love it not only because I know we're going to have an amazing conversation that's going to impact women's lives, but also because I admire you both so much because I see you walking towards wholeness in your own lives. And I also see you inviting other people to come along with you. And so it doesn't feel like we're just, you know, sitting in this room and having conversation and we're going to tell everybody everything we need to know, but we're really sojourners. Like we're people, all three of us, I would say, are people who have experienced pain and brokenness and a need for healing and are trying to like walk towards finding it. And I love that I get to have conversations with you guys all the time about this topic. So to bring it on a podcast, it's really fun to hang out with you guys. It's fun to be here. I'm excited. So us three talked about the need for this material and sort of started talking about crafting a class for it. And then here we are and we're sitting in the podcast room recording it. And what I want to do is just kind of shoot our 10 moves to walk towards wholeness out there just count down each one and then dialogue about each one for a few minutes. Okay. You guys good with that? Great. Perfect. Cool. So number one is feel the feelings and Breeze, I'm going to turn to you. Why is feel the feelings such an important move in walking towards healing and wholeness in your life? Well, um, I mean, while it will sound a little cliche, um, feelings are important. And if we don't feel our feelings, if we don't make space for our feelings, literally they are shoved into a corner of ourselves, and we are not fully whole. We're like trying to isolate a component um, of our experience and we're not then living fully. And so I just think when I think about um, wholeness, I think of, you know, 
all-encompassing. I think of like all aspects of my life have to be congruent and true. And, um, and so I don't know if there's a way to work towards being whole or like full healing without really making space for my feelings. Now, let me also clarify, feelings aren't always comfortable. Um, however, they are really, really important. Um, tears need to come when we have them. Um, that's, that's like our body's way of releasing and cleansing. Um, and I am a counselor, so I believe in this, but I, this is really, really important work. Mm -hmm. This kind of makes me think of a story and I think you can hear it in one of the first podcasts we ever did on the Clyde podcast around the story of origin for Clyde. But it, so I won't go into the whole story, but it makes me think of a woman who came up to me at one point after a conference and said, um, she, she started talking about how her husband died and then her, her adult child tried to commit suicide and how she was treated in the church as a result of that. And then she said her other child tried to commit suicide. And she said for years, she told herself, it's fine. I buried my husband. I buried my son. I'll bury my daughter. And so when you talk about sort of compartmentalizing, not feeling the feels, like I think of someone like her who literally practiced telling herself it's fine. I'm fine. I can handle this. I'm like a survivor or whatever. What are some other reasons though? Cause you're talking about how important feeling the feels is. What are some other reasons why women don't want to feel like, why are feelings so scared? And also what are some indicators that someone might not be feeling the feels like that statement? I'm fine. I'll be fine. Like what are some other things that might indicate you're telling yourself not to feel the feels? Great question. I think I'm fine is such a culturally appropriate statement. Um, we hear it all the time. I'm fine. Um, I just texted you that earlier this week about like, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm fine. And I think that felt true in me that I really did feel fine. But but we use that all the time to also say, I'm not going to go there with you um, or I'm not going to go there within myself. Um, other phrases like that w might be... Um, to, you know, focus solely on, you know, what some might call sunny side up. Um, and while I believe in the power of positivity and positive thinking, you know, to not really honor things being hard um, can sometimes be a little hollow. Um, or flip side to, you know, sort of feel like things can never be positive, but we're really mm -hmm. stuck in like things will never be better. We're, um, you know, life is horrible. And some phrases just like, I don't know, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but um, this sucks or life is terrible or this will never end or something like that. Um, but indicators are just really you know, how we live in relationship with people. Like now I think this would also be a separate conversation, but you know, who are we connecting with that are safe people in our life? And that would be a whole different conversation, but safe people where you feel like you can be fully yourself mm -hmm. um, and be open and honest about what you're actually going through or what you're really experiencing. That doesn't have to be hours long conversation, but to 
be vulnerable with someone and let them see you is the difference between saying I'm fine and I'm not going to let you see me. Um, and just saying, man, this is hard. Life is hard sometimes. Does that answer your question? Oh yeah, totally. I think for some people, feelings are just really scary. Yeah. Well, and I think culture kind of reinforces that message. I think we live in a society, um, especially Western culture, where we pride ourselves on being super independent and fast paced and um, strong. And so if you have anything other than independent, strong, um, you know, culturally appropriate <laughs> mentality, then you, we kind of start to view ourselves as weak, believing that other people will also believe us as weak. And it becomes a feedback loop that is really, really unhelpful. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because it makes me think some of the strongest people I know feel the feels mm -hmm. and are real about the feels. Have you, like, would that be something that you would say, Madeline? I mean, when you think about strength, like, and people you know and admire, do you see weakness when you see them sharing their feelings? Yeah, I definitely, I used to, I used to think, well, I used to equate feeling the feelings or being emotional or opening up about what was hurting or bothering you as a sign of weakness. Cause I thought you should just, I should be able to fix it, get over it, move on. And that was a sign of strength. But the more that I've engaged in my own journey of healing, I really admire the wisdom of people who are able to be vulnerable, vulnerable with their feelings because it invites other people into being able to process their emotions and what's hurting and what's wrong because that gets you to healing a lot more quickly because mm -hmm. I used to think that like if I don't feel the feelings now I won't ever have to feel them like if I can just endure this by myself for like a week then I'll forget it but I quickly learned in therapy that just stopping those feelings they'll come up later mm -hmm. and they'll probably be harder to deal with yeah I sort of think of that as volcanic mm -hmm. um like the more we shove and suppress, it just becomes contents under pressure. And so it just really does come out at some point, yeah. but usually in a less fun or helpful manner. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, it's interesting that when we sort of started talking about these 10 moves, Breeze, this is one of your um, first moves that you mentioned. And I think it's interesting because to, fast forward and picture yourself at wholeness in some way, it, it, even in just one aspect of your life, but you never felt the things that you, that you need healing for. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like feelings are an indicator almost or an invitation of what is going on, what's going on deeper within you. And if you don't pay attention to that, I don't even know if you know what you need healing for. So how could you ever get to wholeness? Well, exactly. I think feelings are just I mean, the most basic way to say this, their information, right? Like in workout classes, I think people are starting to say, really listen to your body. And if something hurts, like pay attention to that, modify, do something different, right? Mm -hmm. So this is just the emotional component of listening to our bodies. Mm. Um, and so, you know, obviously I believe in it, um, but I really also believe in it because um, maybe it's important to say, you know, I'm a counselor because I was a client first and like this work is the work I have been doing and giving myself permission to feel my feelings and have space for them has made all the difference in my life. Mm -hmm. Second move, we'll move to that because we have 10 of these bad boys. 
Open-handed versus closed-handed. Breeze, I'm going to ask you to pick that one up too um, and kind of define what those are, the difference, and why those are so important. Yeah. Well, I think um, when I was thinking about wholeness, I was thinking about just different components of when I feel free or like I'm living in congruence with myself and with the people around me. Um, and I, and I, I think of this picture with my hands often, um, when I typically not living freely, I notice that my body is tense and my hands tend to be clenched. My fists are clenched to the point that sometimes I might look down and like my, I'm clenching so hard, my knuckles are white. Um, and I just th- think that that's become a really important metaphor for my life. Like, what are my hands doing? Um, and if I can just notice my hands, it will tell me a lot about how I'm living. And when I have closed fists, I'm typically trying to control something. I'm trying to kind of micromanage. I might be overwhelmed. I might be overextended. I might be not honoring myself or a relationship in my life. And I'm, I'm just not living in that congruence that helps me work towards being whole um, or living holistically. So I just think that that's an important image that might be helpful for some people um, is to really consider, you know, what is your body doing? And maybe even more specifically your hands. Are you living with sort of a, um, a closed posture, stressed, isolated, um, you know, thing to thing to thing, and that's all we can focus on? Or are we in a posture where like we can settle a little, we can receive, we can take in new information. I can look around at the world around me. When I am stressed, I'm looking at the ground and I'm going as fast as I possibly can. And please don't anyone try to slow me down. But when I'm in an open posture, I'm like walking around my neighborhood, looking at birds and talking to my neighbors and I, I can take in more information. And that's when I feel more whole. How do you move from one to the other? If you recognize you're rigid mm-hmm. and you need to move to flexible, you recognize you're closed and you need to move more to an open posture. How do you move from one to the next? Well, I think it's a process, um, but I think my first answer would be I notice. Um, my second answer would be I try to breathe and I try to just get my body to sort of settle and calm and relax. Um, and then it probably means in, inviting someone else into that with me, whether that's a counselor or a friend or a family member, but I invite someone in to help me consider like, what am I so rigid about? What, what are the, what are the things that I'm kind of stuck on? Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. 
Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. Speaking of stuck, I'm actually going to move on to the next move, which is take agency. And Kristen, I'm going to turn to you. You know, Bree's just brought up this idea of being stuck. Why and what have you seen in your own life and working with women? What helps sort of untangle the stuckness or why is it important to take agency to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I've Earlier this year, I was in a counseling session because I was feeling pretty stuck in my life. I felt totally out of moves. I didn't know what to do next. And I kept saying, I'm so stuck and there's like nothing I can do about it. And my counselor helped me, like helped point out that there's always something that we can do. It may not be something that you recognize because kind of like what you were just saying, Bree, is like when we're stressed and have anxiety or just really close-minded, we have these blinders on and we can't see what else is out there. Right. So part of the process for me of untangling and getting unstuck was thinking outside the box on like what was in my control and what I could take agency over. Even just if it's a baby step or a small thing that I could do that would start to move me towards being unstuck. Like I always use this example that always comes to my mind. I went on a run a couple years ago in the rain and I had a hat on. And then I came home after like an eight mile run, my hair was in like a total mess. Like it was a knot. I was like, about to call my hairstylist or have to chop my hair off. And I was like crying. I was like, I don't know what to do, but I got like some detangler and like slowly started like brushing my hair out and like piece by piece, like I was able to get, I didn't have to get my hair chopped off. And I always think about that when I'm feeling stuck because it's finding these little things that I could do today that would move me towards like whatever big thing I'm feeling stuck in. And so I think it's helpful to begin to identify like little action steps exactly. that we can do because we're, there's always something that we can do, right. even if it feels like we can't. And I know that when you really are feeling stuck, someone telling you to go like find a little baby step, I'm like, there's nothing I can do, but actually like there are things. So that's kind of where that idea mm-hmm. comes from. It's so interesting because it is almost empowering. I've done this before where if if you're feeling stuck and I love your phrase, you feel out of moves. Mm -hmm. When you said that, I was like, oh, I could resonate with like just feeling that way. And I think a lot of other women can, but there is something so empowering about literally sitting down, getting out a piece of paper, drawing a line down the middle of it on the top of the left and you write what I can control on the top of the right, what I can't. Mm-hmm. And sure, there's a lot of things we can't control. There's a lot of things that feel completely out of our control, both in the world and in our own lives. But there are some things we can control. And it almost feels like a really empowering exercise to try doing that. Yeah, it definitely does. I think when you like do the thing that kind of scares you, I think sometimes I am almost like unf- afraid of getting unstuck too. Um, cause I got, you can get really comfortable in like the places of being stuck. And so sometimes taking that small little step, whether that's like, for me, like starting that process was like making a phone call that I didn't want to make that felt like, I'm like, it's just a phone call. Why can I not make this phone call to this friend? And then I did make the phone call and it didn't fix all the things that were going on, but it felt refreshing and empowering in a way that like, okay, I did like maybe one of 20 steps but I did that one step and then it made it a little bit easier to go. I can do a few more steps and it gave me more ideas of like what other steps could be by taking that step. Cause it mm-hmm. unlocks something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. 
you guys both work with women. Breeze, you're seeing women as clients in your practice as a mental health therapist. Kristen, you're on the client staff. I work with women. I'm kind of curious when you talk about taking agency and kind of determining what are some of the things you can control. How have you seen other women take small steps that unlock something more for them? Like what are some actual examples of how you've seen this sort of work for women? I mean, my honest first answer um, is I've seen people feel really different when they recognize they can just even control their own breath and the rate at which they're breathing. I know that sounds so completely simplistic. And I, you know, rolled my eyes at my therapist years ago when she <laughs> told me to practice breathing until I recognize, oh, no, it really, it really is helpful. And while that doesn't magically transform all our circumstances, it can sometimes unlock just enough, like Kristen was saying, to help us take one other step. Like, oh, I can slow down my my rate of breathing to a point where I'm not feeling panicked. And I can then identify what's one thing I can do for myself. I can go take a shower. I can eat something, which then also helps me, you know, take a bigger step or perhaps making that phone call. Um if it's a challenging phone call to make. Um, that's the first one that jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like um, we have so many women that reach out to us for help with counseling. And I think a lot of people can maybe pinpoint like where they're feeling stuck and feeling out of moves again. And I think a big step that I see people or women making is having the courage to be like, I can't do this on my own. And either I need to like talk with someone or join a Bible study to process the anxiety or the different things, or even just like reaching out to a counselor, Mm -hmm. recognizing that um, there is something that they're stuck in and they need help. And so I think that's really encouraging to see. Like, I just feel like I've seen a lot more women um, lately who are wanting to take that step. And that's like a really brave step to be able to like verbally say to someone like, this is what's going on and I need some help. And so I think that's a really good step in the direction of getting unstuck because a lot of times it's, it's nice to have someone else to help you process it, Mm -hmm. especially if you've been working at it yourself and it's not, you're not seeing any progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I'm thinking of a couple different random stories, but one is a woman who came to us um, after trying to commit suicide and there was a lot of steps she's taken and still taking. But at one point I remember having a conversation with her where she felt like there were all these obstacles in the way of her healing. And she started realizing one of the things that she could do is just start painting again. Mm -hmm. and she didn't have a a job and didn't have a community really, and was just starting to come into the Clyde community, but she started painting and just creating, just working with color, just um, focusing on something that she loves to do, that she's passionate to do. Like you saw it sort of light her up and she started to share her work with people and other people were praising her. And so that's something that would have fallen on her. This is something I can control. This is something I can do, which I think is really interesting. There are these little things that we can do to kind of step out of like darkness and into the light again. Well, and I don't don't know if it's appropriate to add this, but I think when we're in darkness, I think we're also reluctant to do the things that make us who we are. So I'm not a painter, Mm. but for this woman, like if we're in a really dark place, we, we almost feel like undeserving to do the things that bring us life. Um, 
but it is doing those things that can help us remember and um, get grounded in such a way that, oh yeah, there I am. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, again, it doesn't magically make everything just fall into place, but it makes the sting maybe just a tiny bit less painful. I, I don't, I don't know how to say that, but I think, I think connecting with things, whether it's painting or reading or writing or mm-hmm. things that bring us joy, even if it doesn't feel like that thing will bring you joy in the moment you're going to reach for the paintbrush. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. still important. And I think it's nice that like taking agency or like making these steps don't have to be big, scary, like hardcore steps. They can be really simple, beautiful moments of like planning joy that then allow your body to kind of like calm down and de-stress and like reconnect with something that you love to do. I think that's a beautiful example of taking agency. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I'm going to move to number four. So the fourth move to walk towards wholeness is move, which sounds um, kind of silly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the fourth move is move. Um, but the the reason why we kind of thought this up is the collision in in uh, the Bible where Jesus goes out of his way to run into this guy and he's waiting by the waters to heal him. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story, but there's these waters and they're said to um, heal people. So there's all these sick people by this pool. And it was believed, it was superstition, it wasn't biblical, superstition that whoever got first into the waters as they started moving would be the first to receive a healing, which is like so messed up because it basically means like the people who least like need a healing get it because, you know, it's like the Olympic athletes with like a runny nose make it down there before the paralytic, right? And so this guy's paralyzed. He can't move. He's waiting by these waters and he's fixated on what is going to heal him. And Jesus shows up to him. And it's so, it's like a profound passage because the healer's standing right in front of this guy. And this guy is still fixated on these waters. And Jesus asks him this question, which I think is a question we should probably ask ourselves at least once a month, which is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And it's it's an interesting passage. If you read the whole thing, you start to understand Jesus isn't being hard on this guy. Jesus uniquely understands him in particular. And he's sort of in this learned helplessness, which is kind of this idea that he's experienced trying to escape a painful circumstance and it hasn't worked out for him. And so now he assumes it will never work out for him. And so he says, you know, I, he doesn't actually answer the question. Do you want to get well? He just says, you know, people get down to the waters before I can get to the waters. And so this word that Jesus uses when he says, do you want to get well? It's the word philo. And it doesn't just mean, do you want something? It's a want coupled with action. So it's like desire plus action. Like, do you want something enough that you're willing to actually make some moves to go for it? And it seems like when I think about my own life, even current areas of my life that I want to see transformation in, I have to ask myself, do I want to get well? What am I doing to get well? Like the question that Jesus poses is actually frightening because it invites you to ask a whole bunch of other questions about like, how are you participating? How are you moving and participating in the healing God wants 
for your life. Because I think a lot of times we're sitting around waiting for the magic wand and the moving of the waters and like insta healing. And God's like, no, no, no. Like, do you want it? Because I'm actually inviting you to participate by moving, but you're just sitting around hoping it happens instantly. Does that ring true for you guys? Like, how does, how do you see that mentality happening in your own life or in the people's lives that you're seeing where we're not moving and we're just expecting healing? Oh, it totally resonates with me. I, I mean, I feel like that's such an important question that you're right. I think I need to be asking myself regularly. And I think, um, you didn't say this word, but what it's, what it sort of resonates in me is this word choice. And in grad school, I felt like that became a really important word for me to recognize that I had choice, kind of like Kristen's mm. point of agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if I can maybe pair the word choice with the movement, I think for myself, I have to recognize, oh yeah, I do have a choice. I can live differently. It doesn't, I don't have to feel like this or live in this way. And that might be the moment that I'm willing to take the step and ask the question, do I want to get well? Um, So there's something really important about movement. But for me also, it has to be, I have to have the awareness of of having choice in it. Um, Because otherwise I I won't move. I will just wait for the magic wand. Mm -hmm. I'm stubborn and I (laughs) don't want to do hard things if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a question I have for you about that is, I think sometimes when things happen to us that are outside of our control, that mm-hmm. are difficult or traumatizing and different things, it's like, it's not fair and it's not right. And I had no choice in why that happened to me, but how do you encourage like women that you work with to find choice in circumstances that were done to them? And like, so like, cause it, you still, we still have to move. And I'm just curious what that looks like. Cause that sort of feels like a, a hard point. That's a great, that's a great question. And thank you for bringing that up. I, um, I mean, my, my answer, if I could summarize it would be self-compassion. If we can help someone access moments of self-compassion to almost like have a bird's eye view of themselves as something hard happened or as they experienced trauma and like, what, what do they what do they see in their little girl self or what do they see, you know, of themselves in a moment when they're getting yelled at in the grocery store by someone, you know, randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a way in which just changing the vantage point and accessing some self-compassion helps us feel less like a victim and have we can have more ownership over mm-hmm. our experience. I think that it, it's not a quick step. It doesn't move someone immediately to choice and movement, but I think it, it it's a it's kind of that unlocking step that we were talking about earlier. Self compassion could be its own whole topic, um, but Next time. I'll, I'll Next leave time. I'll leave it with that. I I actually wrote the word choice down with a question mark as you were talking, Breeze, because I think there are some people who are in circumstances where they're like, well, that's easy for you to say, you know, I have obstacles that you'll never understand and I didn't choose them. So what choice do I have? I think there are circumstances where you can't choose to change your circumstance, but you can choose to change 
some sort of shift in your perspective in your circumstance, mm-hmm. right? Like there can be a perspective shift that helps you to have hope, like to show up to hope or to step into light or, you know, we're not going to sit here in this conversation and say like, if everyone would just move, they'll be healed. I mean, in the passage that I'm referring to, uh, Jesus did say to a man who was absolutely paralyzed, pick up your mat and walk. I picture him saying like, Jesus, like, did you not get the memo? Like, I thought you're the Lord who knows all things. Like you're asking me to pick up my mat and walk. I don't think Jesus, based on everything I've experienced with him, I don't see him as being a bully. That's going to be like, ah, like pick up your mat and walk unless he didn't think for that man in particular like he he invited him to make a move, knowing the move would be healing. Does it mean that Jesus is going to walk around and heal all paralytics or people who have chronic pain or are in systems that they can't change? Not necessarily, but I I venture to guess based on what I know about Jesus's character is that he's going to show up and he's going to collide with you in the circumstance you're in, in the story that you're in, the chapter you're in, and he is not going to trick you. He's going to invite you to shift or move something that he knows you actually can, and it'll actually be helpful. Right. You know? And the movement might just be in the belief that he's capable of mm-hmm. bringing that healing. Mm-hmm. Like, that that might be action step, and that's just to believe that the healer is in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, the idea, like the learned helplessness idea is like, if you just sit around and think I've come here every day, I've hoped in healing. I've prayed for healing. I've wanted healing. Healing hasn't come. Healing hasn't come. It's never going to come. It's a very unhelpful posture for life. Right. And so the move can even be a mental posture of noticing the healer standing right in front of you instead of fixating on the waters that you were thought you were going to heal you being willing to shift and go, maybe God's going to use something different than I thought he was going to use. Right. That could be the move. That could be the shift. So good. Uh, I am going to move us to move number five because we got 10 of these and five is notice goodness. Why is that so important? Do you guys think? Partly for what you just said, um, the noticing goodness is this, I I don't have a word for it, but it's like this, almost my heart kind of skips a beat. Like there's a tiny subtle move within me that's like, oh, what if God does want to heal me? What if there's another way to look at this? What if healing is possible? Um, In grad school, I was introduced to this concept of both and, and I use it all the time and it's incredibly helpful. It sounds so simplistic, um, but you'll hear me say, and also, um, because I, the, the point is, is that two things can be true at the same time. And if I'm in a really hard season in my life, I can get really mired into viewing what's hard. You know, had a conflict with my kid and just feel bad about it. And I'm beating myself up and like, that's all I can think about. And also there might be opportunities for growth or new perspective or, um, continued conversation. The and also is the way in which um, 
I start to I start to unclench my hands a little bit. I start to take in more information than just what my limited perspective is offering me in that experience. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the noticing goodness just helps me have a broader picture that I sometimes lose sight of. And without the broader picture, our perspective is just so narrow. It's just really, really limited to my life and this experience and no one else knows it and no one else could ever possibly understand. And it feels really isolating and overwhelming. Um, And so I think the noticing goodness just helps me see more, see bigger. And that's been helpful for me. What personal practices do you guys both engage to help you notice goodness? Yeah, as as someone who loves to move really fast all the time, noticing goodness to me feels like pauses. And a couple, I'm probably like five or six years ago, I was at this church and the pastor suggested like getting like a little glass jar and like throughout the day or the week, whenever you noticed goodness or moments of God showing up, even in really simple ways to just write them down and then toss them in the jar. And at first I thought it was like kind of cheesy and I wasn't like sure I was going to do it, but I decided to do it and I started like paying attention to all of these little moments, things that I would probably have forgotten had I not like written them down in the moment and paused to reflect on it. And I like over the course of a year, I like filled up this like really big jar mm-hmm. full of all these moments. And it was really beautiful to like pour them out and spread them across my bed and start reading them. All these things that I forgot, I had like dated them and put times on them and looking back at moments where I was feeling discouraged or anxious and just seeing that God showed up for me, even in those moments um, was really beautiful. And I try to do more of that, um, to help me pause mm. and pay attention. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Really amazing. <laughs> yeah. What do you do, Breeze? Um, I think I do two things regularly. Um, and that is I try to practice gratitude. So just throughout the day, I try to identify something that I'm grateful for, even if I'm super frustrated about something like the and also's. Um, and I take myself for a walk every morning with my dogs, um, unless I'm sick or something, um, to partly to notice my surroundings in my neighborhood. I, d- I think there's something really visually important for me about just taking in the world around me. And I don't always feel like it. If it's raining, you know, kind of lame, but I, it, I always come back feeling better. Um, and I feel like I've started the day noticing and that's really helpful for me. Mm. Yeah. I love being outside. I feel like when I'm outside, I, my gratitude meter jumps way higher. Yeah. And if I go days without being outside, it comes <laughs> slower. And even being someone who lives in the PNW where it's raining, sometimes we often like find ourselves inside way more than we really want to be. But going outside and just noticing like, oh my gosh, those trees are so beautiful. And look at the sunset and all the sailboat. And it just is so good for me. It helped me notice goodness around me. Get off the screen, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff we do on like New Year's Eve-ish time, New Year's Day. In the past, my family and I will like go get Starbucks or something in the morning. We're at a coffee shop and we'll write like, 
everything good that happened in a year and write it mm -hmm. on like our cups, mm -hmm. like write all of our cups or even after like collide events, after, you know, we've moved into a church, taken over, ministered to hundreds of women, then we have to clean it all up and pack it back. We'll gather in a circle and just share what did we see God do? And just noticing like the good we saw in the space and in the room before we close up. That's like a tradition we do. But I also think sometimes I'll just free write and like, write Like, thank mm -hmm. you, God. And just like, go for it or lay down with my daughter in bed at night. And we just thank you, God, for this. Thank mm -hmm. you, God, for that. And right. So good. It just changes your perspective so much. Definitely. It softens something. That's what I would say. Absolutely. Well, friend, I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed interviewing those amazing women. That is part one of this conversation. So definitely come back next week for part two, where we'll talk about moves six through 10 that you can make to walk towards wholeness. I just loved this conversation so much. I love thinking about ways that we can participate in the healing that God desires for our lives. I know that even in the last few weeks, I have sat with women who have hurting kids and want to know where to help them start to get healing. I sat with a woman who has major hatred towards one of her parents and has never dealt with why she has that hatred and what to do about it. And she so desired to see change. I've sat with women recently who've had betrayal in friendships and don't know how to reconcile. Women who are experiencing isolation from their own self-esteem issues and on and on and on. There's so many of us that desire healing and don't know where to start. So I love that we can have these kinds of conversations here on the Collide podcast. I just want to mention a few resources that we have here at Collide that you can step into. We have a Collide counseling bundle that you can grab on our website at wecollide.net. And it is an amazing online course where you get to spend quality time with 12 therapists who speak on 12 different topics that so often we desire healing for in our lives. So check that out. It is absolutely amazing. One of the coolest things about it that I love is that you can sit with 12 therapists and they aren't just asking you questions and you're listening, but they're actually teaching, pour out, pouring out years of their wisdom and their expertise and their tips and their tools into you. So make sure to check that out. We also have a manage your anxiety guide that you might want to look into and a freebie called Getting Unstuck, which helps you recognize why you might be stuck. And half of Getting Unstuck is recognizing why you're there. So check those resources out and keep colliding. We'll catch you for part two next week.